I got to start off with something here in your bulletin. For those of you who fill out the sermon outline and uh, you get really upset if I don't give you everything, there's two that's not going to be on there. The two reactions of fear are fight and flight, but I'm not going to talk about that today. So if you all want to fill that in, for those of you who are OCD, that's fine. <laughs> two reactions of fear are fight and flight. Uh, our series out of the story since the beginning of the year has been six ways to wreck your life. Probably not the most joyful series But we see so much of this all around us and so many wrecked lives in our world and even in the Bible. You want to wreck your life, give in to lust like David did with Bathsheba or marry the wrong person like Solomon did in chapter 13 or listen to morons like Rehoboam and Jeroboam did in chapter 14. And today, if you want to wreck your life, give in to fear. Now, we all have different kinds of fears going on in our brain and some of those are more rational than others. Uh, there's a website actually called phobialist.com, and I think Lucy maybe got on this list. And anyway, it lists several hundred fears, and these are actual fears. Pelodophobia is fear of bald people. Pentenerophobia is fear of being tickled by feathers. Olophobia is fear of flutes. And entherophobia is fear of your mother-in-law. <laughs> so the next time your wife wants to go to mom's, you just say, I don't feel well. I think I have entherophobia, so... Well, what would be your fear? Every person on the planet wrestles with some fear. One historian said the oldest and strongest emotion of mankind is fear. The most common command in the Bible is fear not or some form of do not fear, over 300 commands. Now, sometimes fear is a gift. It's a good thing. Fear can protect us. It keeps us from running out in the street or from doing dangerous things. The Bible talks about being on your guard and being alert, so there are legitimate reasons to be cautious. There's good fear and there's bad fear. Good fear is productive, protective, motivates us to action. Bad fear is counterproductive. It paralyzes us and is paranoid. So today we're going to look at Elijah, one of the prophets of God. It's chapter 15 in the story, or 1 Kings 17, if you want to turn to that. And Elijah is a prophet of the northern kingdom of Israel. And the northern king has had, kingdom has had 19 evil kings in a row. None of the northern kingdoms were good. And last week, we looked at the first king of the northern kingdom, Jeroboam, and fear was part of his downfalling. In fear, Jeroboam built worship places at Dan and Bethel, but he was afraid because he was afraid that the northerners would go back to Jerusalem, which was in the southern kingdom, and worship there and perhaps start and give their allegiance back to that, to that king. So Jeroboam listened to morons, and he built these false worship places, and the reason he did it was fear. And fear wrecked his life. And what Jeroboam did was set the path for the northern kingdom to perpetual idolatry. And the number one problem in the northern kingdom throughout their history is going to be worship of other gods. And idolatry is the number one sin in the Bible, mentioned more than any other sin. There was a death penalty for four sins in the Old Testament. Idolatry is one of them. Why the death penalty? Why so severe? Well, idolatry leads us away from God, which is the surest way to wreck your life. When we follow other gods, we get into all kinds of problems. Idolatry reduces God, but it also reduces us. And it causes us to overvalue the wrong things. Idolatry messes up your value system and your priorities, just screws everything up. And we still have idolatry today. People worship uh, celebrities like Justin Bieber. How's that working for you? You know, money, success, and relationships. I uh, heard a guy talking, he went to India and went into a home and saw chairs surrounding an idol. And it just looked so odd. And I got to think, you come to my house and you see all the chairs surrounding a flat screen TV in the corner. Is entertainment an idol? 
Jeroboam makes idolatry a way of life for the northern kingdom, and it becomes more and more prevalent until we get to Ahab. And in 1 Kings 16, this is not in the story, but I wanted to read this. In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, son of Amri, became king of Israel, and he reigned in Samaria over Israel 22 years. Ahab, son of Amri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. Now, the northern kings are bad, but this guy is really bad, more evil than all the others. And do you remember his wife? His wife's name? Jezebel. And a big part of his problem is her. Ahab is bad, but he's also a little bit of a wimp. Jezebel is really the one who runs the show. And when I think of the most evil people in the Bible, for a man, I would probably lean toward Judas Iscariot who betrayed Jesus and sold him. But Ahab would be a close second. For female, no doubt, it would be Jezebel. She's a Sidonian, and she wants Baal worship to be prominent, and she'll do anything to wipe out Yahweh worship. Now, what does fear have to do with idolatry? What we fear is what we tend to worship. If you fear not having enough money, you'll tend to worship money. If you fear being lonely, you'll worship relationships. If you fear not being liked, you'll worship popularity. If you fear failure, you'll worship success. Biblically, we are to have one main fear. We are commanded to fear God. And if we don't fear God, we won't worship God. Are you afraid of God? You know, I think there's a lot of people, oh, no, I'm not afraid of God. He's kind and nice and gentle. No, no. We are to fear God. We talk about God's mercy and kindness and goodness, and God is this nice guy. And I think, I know, we have made God into something less than what the Bible shows. We have stripped away the hard side of God and made him into this harmless being that we can control. God will not be mocked. God is not to be trifled with. I hope we're learning this as we're going through his word. This God is a whole lot more than than we have limited him, so don't take him lightly. Jesus said, do not fear man and what he can do you do to you. Fear God. To be honest, fear of God has been a big motivator in my life. Do not take this God lightly. I'm glad my parents taught me to fear God. Ultimately, what you worship is a combination of what you fear, what is your passion, what gives you hope, and whatever is the glory of your life. That's what you're going to worship. Now, may I confess a weakness this morning? I have always loved sugar cereal. And we had a white elephant gift exchange at the high school youth party, and someone brought Lucky Charms, and so I was coveting this, and I actually did get to go home with it. It's not my favorite sugar cereal. Um, Probably Sugar Smacks, Sugar Pops, and Fruit Loops would be my favorites, but Lucky Charms is okay. And I took that home, and I have eaten the whole box full of cereal. Ellen didn't get any of it. And then I got to, you know, when you go into the uh, grocery store and you go into the cereal section, you'll find these off brands. And I have tried them, like fake sugar smacks or fake Fruit Loops. They're never the same. They're just cheap substitutes. I want the real thing. And idolatry is replacing God with cheap substitutes. Instead of centering our lives in the real thing, the creator, we find our hope or pleasure in created things. Created things are for good and they're a blessing, but when we make them central, they become cheap substitutes for the real thing. So God gives Elijah a message to to give to Ahab, and usually when God has a message for a prophet to give to us, it's not good news. 
1 Kings 17, 1, page 203, says, Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishba in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Now, Ahab, there's going to be a drought. Not only will there be no rain, but there's not going to be any dew in the morning. It's going to be very dry. Why does God withhold rain? Well, one of the main idols in the Old Testament, as I said, is Baal or Baal, however you want to pronounce it. And Baal is a god of weather. He supposedly gives the rain so the crops can produce. The Israelites were worshiping the God of the weather, the God of rain, Baal. So the true God, Yahweh, says, I'm going to withhold the rain. Why? To show them that Baal's a fraud and I'm the true God who really controls the rain. Baal's just a cheap substitute and Yahweh is the real God. Sometimes, I think you need to understand this, when God withholds something maybe from you, it might be because it's an idol. Why would God bless you with something that's replaced him? We pray, uh, God, give me money. That'll make me happy and I'll, I'll find my security. Well, if you're looking to money for your happiness and security, why would God bless you? Bless the, his primary competition and, and give you an idol. He might just withhold it. Or God bless my career. Well, well God's going to bless something that has replaced him? It's okay to talk to God about those things. We should talk to God about those things. As long as God is at the center, God, I want to honor you and all I do. Uh, Whatever you bless me with, it will be to your glory. So God withholds the rain here. And then we have one of the more familiar stories that many of us learned when we were kids, the confrontation of Mount Carmel between Elijah and the prophets of Baal, something we used to do at church camp, act this out. And I want to show a video review of this chapter right now. During the time that Israel was divided, God told a prophet named Elijah that there would be a drought in the land. He directed Elijah to leave the area and live by himself for three years near a ravine where he would have all the water he needed. One day, God told Elijah to go and confront King Ahab and his wife Jezebel about leading the Israelites to worship a false god named Baal. Elijah asked Ahab and all the people of Israel to meet him on the top of a mountain. Ahab brought 450 prophets of Baal with him. Elijah decided to conduct a challenge to prove that he followed the true God. Two bulls were brought to be sacrificed. The prophets of Baal laid down pieces of wood and put the bull on it, but did not set fire to it. Call on the name of your God, Elijah challenged. And I will call on mine, whichever answers by fire, he is God. From early morning until noon, the prophets asked their god Baal to send fire, but nothing happened. Elijah taunted them, shout louder, perhaps your god is in deep thought or sleeping. So they shouted louder and cut themselves with their swords and spears, but still nothing happened. He quickly built an altar using 12 stones, one to represent each tribe of Israel. Finally, he asked those around him to pour water all over the bowl and the wood. There was so much water flowing that it filled the trench around the altar. Then Elijah called out, let it be known today that you are God in Israel. 
and fire fell from the sky and burned up the bull, the wood, and even the stones and soil, vaporizing all the water around it. The prophets of Baal were then arrested and killed in the valley below the mountain. When King Ahab returned home and told his wife Jezebel what happened, she was furious and sent word to Elijah that she was going to have him killed. So Elijah fled to the wilderness. There he met an angel sent by God to take care of him, who gave him food and water. Eventually, God told Elijah that Elisha would take his place as a prophet in Israel. Not long after, Elijah and Elisha were walking along the road, and a chariot and horses made of fire appeared out of nowhere and took Elijah up into the sky. So Elisha continued to do God's work, performing miracles, and at one point even raising a young boy from the dead. Elijah stretched out his body over the boy and caused him to sneeze seven times, bringing him back to life. For many years after, God continued to use Elisha and a number of other prophets to perform miracles and warn the Israelites of all that would happen to them if they did not follow God. Despite the prophets' warning, the next several kings led Israel further and further from God. It was only a matter of time before things had to change. Okay, Elijah experiences a major victory confronting the 450 uh, prophets of Baal, and he wins. And so we have this great display of God's power on Mount Carmel, you know, lightning and fire. And then on page 206, 1 Kings 19.1, it's an amazing shift. It says, Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he'd killed all the prophets with a sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. Now, Elijah has just defeated 450 prophets of Baal. And then this one woman, and she's powerful, and she's scary, and she's not an idle threat. I mean, she's... She's killed before, and she makes this threat, and Elijah runs, and he's afraid. He goes from this ultimate high of faith into this deep pit of fear, and he actually becomes suicidal. You know, I, I quit. Let me die. After the victory at Mount Carmel, he thought the battle was over. He'd won. But then he realizes it's not over, and the struggle's going to go on, and, and it's just too much for him. And that's often the case for us. We can handle the short-term battles but it's when they go on and on that we tend to give up. It says, Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some baked bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back and a second time touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. See, when you're depressed, you tend to sleep. What's God do? Sends an angel to touch him and then tells him, get up, eat, get some food. Elijah lays down again. God touches him again. Get up and eat. God doesn't come with a sermon. He doesn't come with judgment. He doesn't chew him out. He comes with food. And sometimes the best thing you can do when you're in fear and despair is eat and rest. When afraid, get physical rest and renewal. 
We often talk about the spiritual side of things, you know, faith and hope and love. And we separate the spiritual from the physical. And how you feel physically often affects your faith. If you're not getting food or rest, you're not getting sleep, your faith will suffer. So get up and eat. Get some rest. Elijah then goes to Mount Horeb, which is also, what other mountain? What's the other name for Horeb? Sinai. It's the mountain of God. So keep that in mind, Sinai. First Kings 19.9. Then he went into a cave and spent the night. Oh, that'll cheer you up. You know, go into a cave when you're depressed. Anyway, and the word of the Lord came to me. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left. Now they're trying to kill me too. So he goes into this cave, which I think is probably depressing, and then he rehearses all the bad. The Israelites rejected you, torn down the altars, killed the prophets, and sees all this negative, and he is right. It is bad. There's a lot of darkness going on in Israel's history at this time. But remember, he's also come out of a great victory at Mount Carmel. Some Israelites were restored to faith. The prophets of Baal were defeated. A lot of good has happened. But he sees all the negative and focuses on the bad. Now, in your life, there's always going to be a mixture of good and bad. And you can focus on the one or the other. Things can be actually going very well, but then one or two people or one or two circumstances can make everything negative and hard. Verse 11, the Lord said, go and stand out on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Get out of the cave, Elijah. Get up on the mountain. You're going to see God. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his head face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Get out of the cave, get up on the mountain. And then this powerful wind tears apart the rocks, it sounds like Illinois. And then there's earthquake and then there's fire, but God's not in any of those. And then this gentle whisper and the Hebrew phrase is really kind of the sound of nothing. What's going on? What's God doing? There's two mountains in the Elijah story. Mount Carmel it's an emphasis on God's spectacular ways. Fire from heaven, lightning, prophets, Baal, soundly defeated, an overwhelming display of God's power. Now here, Mount Horeb is an emphasis on God's quiet ways, a gentle whisper. God is not to be found only in the spectacular. Elijah needs to know that there's more to the Lord than fire and wind and earthquake. And just because God isn't always throwing thunderbolts down doesn't mean that he's not in control or he's not acting. See, God sometimes just comes to us gently. Sometimes God works in ways that we don't even notice. And then God says a little later on, still 7,000 Israelites have not bowed to Baal. And what's God doing in all this? Elijah, he's focusing on all the negative. God is giving him perspective. When you're afraid, get perspective. When you're in despair, you need to see things differently. Elijah needs to remember, God is working even if it looks bad. It's quiet. There's an experiment by D.L. Rosenhan. He's a professor of psychology and law at Stanford University, where Richard Sherman went, Seattle Seahawks. Anyway, uh, he had eight emotionally healthy people, and Richard Sherman was not one of them. And anyway, eight emotionally healthy people, including himself, and he had them admitted into psychiatric hospitals. And the psychiatrists who were assigned to these patients were simply told these patients were hearing voices. These patients were mentally and emotionally healthy, like you and me, most of us anyway, 
And they gave a thoroughly honest statement regarding their mental health. They didn't lie or try to trick the therapist. And even though each would be considered normal by any standard of society, each was diagnosed by these professionals as schizophrenic. One was diagnosed as bipolar manic depressive. So they were normal, but once they were viewed as mentally ill, they were no longer perceived as normal. Each of them was held anywhere from 7 to 52 days for treatment. A total of 2,100 pills were administered to them because those treating them had a perspective that these patients were sick, even though they weren't. Rosenhan eventually informed the hospitals of what he had done, and he also said he would try the experiment again. Guess what happened? Of the next 193 admissions, the staff, the psychiatrist, found 41 imposters. 41 that they thought, well, they, they aren't really ill. Only thing is, there were no imposters. They were all ill. We tend to see what we're looking for. If a counselor looks for signs of ADD, he'll find it. But if you're looking for signs of a dysfunctional family, you'll find it. Perspective. It's so important, and we all do it. If you look for the bad in someone, you'll see it. So what do you see in this world? Do you see all the dysfunction? Yeah, it's there. Do you see all the dangers? Yep, it's, it's all there. Elijah saw them. But Elijah also needs to see and remember Mount Carmel. He needs to remember there's 7,000 who have not yet bowed down. He needs to know that God is always working, sometimes in the quietness, even when it seems like nothing's happening. Later in the chapter, Elisha, the next prophet, has his eyes, has, opens the eyes of the servant so he can see all these armies of God that no one else can see to give him perspective. Look who's with us. You know, look who's on our side. And I, as you read the story, I want you to get this perspective. Going on, bottom of page 207, verse 15. The Lord said to him, Go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshai, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel-Meholah, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazael, and Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. God tells him what to do. Get going. Get moving. Do something. Anoint this guy as a king. Anoint your successor. He gives him orders. He doesn't give him more food. He doesn't give him more encouraging words. He says, get back to work. Go back. Do something. See, depressed people and fearful people usually cannot be talked out of their doom and gloom. Sometimes what helps is just a sense of purpose. Get back to work. See, when afraid, get a renewed purpose. If you want to overcome fear, get back into the game. Uh, This happens to Horeb. Uh, at Horeb, at, which also, by the way, is Hainai, Sinai. And you remember what else happened on Sinai? Moses was called and given the commission. He saw the burning bush on Mount Sinai. Israel was then given the Ten Commandments a little later on at Mount Sinai, given their commission from God. And it's not an accident. See, what's going on at Mount Horeb is the recommissioning of Elijah. He flees. He's depressed. He wants to die. So God sends him to the Mount Horeb, the mountain of God, for recommissioning to get Elijah back into ministry. Get back into the game. Do you remember the U.S. Airways landing on the Hudson River five years ago? Five years ago this month, actually, January 15, 2009. Can you imagine the fear of the passengers? One of the heroes of that landing, I went back and read a little bit, one of the heroes was the pilot of the plane. And in the account of the crash landing, it says the craft didn't jerk, sway, or dive, and there was only a small splash when it hit the water. Authorities said it was a textbook way to land a plane on the water. All 150 passengers and five crew members got out safely, mostly unharmed. 
Twice after they landed on the water, while the plane was still in, in the river, the pilot walked back through the passenger compartment. He did that twice. The water's getting higher and higher up on the windows, and the captain's still on board, checking the passengers, letting them know, I'm still here. So your plane's going down. Looks like you're drowning, and it's hopeless, and there's fearful times. But Jesus is on the plane. He's the pilot. As long as I know you're in the cockpit, Jesus, I know you're in charge, no matter how deep the water gets or how much I'm sinking, I know you'll get us through because you always have. It's a powerful thing to have God as your pilot. Get a new perspective, a new purpose. How? Read the story. Let these stories become your story. Let God work in your life. This will change your perspective as it shapes you and molds you. Another thing is make Jesus the pilot of your life. Throw out the idols. Get rid of those cheap substitutes and make him the Lord of all. Uh, Become a part of his body of believers, Jesus' body, and become part of his family. And then third, let God recommission you into his service to fulfill the mission that God has given you. You know, I'm going to go ahead and share the good news with my neighbor. I'm going to teach. I'm going to serve. You know, wherever you you are gifted, you're going to serve. Uh, I'm going to get back into the game. You want to wreck your life? Give up. Give in to fear. Let fear become the controlling power in your life. Want to overcome fear? Fear God. Worship Him and make Him your master. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this story because it reminds us that even great men of faith like Elijah can really give in to fear and even depression. And I just pray, Lord, as we read these stories, we, we still understand behind it all and in the midst of all, you are there and you're working. It gives us such great comfort and great courage. I pray for every one of us that we would leave this place today with a greater desire to honor you in all we say and do. It's in Jesus we pray. Amen.